standby for a message from the President of the United States. Hello, America. It is my unhappy duty to report to you that the Messiah has failed. This computer-enhanced radar image from Houston shows how the detonation succeeded, however, did not destroy the comet. There are now two pieces, one six miles wide, the other a mile and a half. Both are still on the path towards Earth. We've lost communication with the Messiah spacecraft, although we continue to track it visually. We don't know how many are alive. We don't know their condition. Now we have to make some decisions together. What do we do? You have a choice. We have a choice right now. Ever since the comet was discovered, we've been hoping and working for the best. But we've also been planning for the worst. Our strategy has been twofold. First, our strategic missile command is preparing to coordinate with the Russians a massive strike of Titan missiles to intercept the comets. If we can deflect these comets enough, they will bounce harmlessly off our atmosphere and head on out into space. Unfortunately, the Titans cannot be launched until the comets are only a few hours away. And while we are confident the missile attack will succeed, it is only prudent that we now take cautionary steps to ensure the continuation of our way of life. To guarantee that there will be enough of us left to rebuild a new world in the unlikely event that the comets do strike the Earth. Oceans rise. Cities fall. Hope survives. As we begin our journey to the next 100 episodes, that may be one of the best taglines of any movie we've ever covered. It's an excellent one. It's point, 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 point. Another tagline was, Heaven and Earth are about to collide. Heaven and Earth sounds like a tag team knockoff of Power and Glory. Or a Kirk Cameron movie. Strike Force is supposed to be a team, a, a team. team. The mega powers are about to collide in this week's episode. I'm Kevin, reaching for the hot tag to my partner, Jim. And I'm going to come in and hit you with my finisher, the extinction level event. I should have said, I'm reaching for the hot tag. My partner, Jim, reaching for the hot dog. <laughs> or hot dogs. Uh, yeah, who can eat just one? I don't know why I'm doing all of these wrestling references. Our movie this week has nothing to do with wrestling. Not unless, at all. Unless it's wrestling, man versus nature. Wrestling, yeah, life versus death. We are going to be discussing 1998's Deep Impact. Symmetry here on the podcast. Directed by Mimi Letter. Also, as a producer, Letter directed 10 episodes of The Leftovers, including the finale, The Book of Nora, which for my money is arguably the greatest episode of television ever made. Mostly a TV director, but she also directed Pay It Forward, which is the Haley Joel Osment Messiah movie, where, spoiler alert, <laughs> he gets killed and then dies like in a Christ pose. Did she also take the name of the spaceship in this movie and named him after no, the Messiah? No, they actually named the Messiah in this because they built a wooden mock-up. And when everyone saw it, their first exclamation was, Jesus Christ. So they literally <laughs> nicknamed it the Messiah. It was such a grand thing. They're like, Jesus yeah. Christ is good. Or Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. But regardless, the due Messiah. to the reaction of the people, they called it the Messiah. The Messiah. Mimi Letter also directed The Peacemaker. 
George Clooney. Yeah. This movie exists because producers Richard Zanuck and David Brown pitched a remake of 1951's When Worlds Collide to Steven Spielberg. He was like, yeah, that's cool and all, but I just optioned the 1993 book, The Hammer of God by Arthur C. Clarke, which is about humanity trying to stop an asteroid, or as my phone notes say, trying to stop a steroid from colliding with Earth. (laughs) That's a better movie. Giant fucking syringe of steroids are heading towards the planet. And then it grows and it grows legs. Hey, mommy, what steroid took out the dinosaurs? Mom, I want to see muscle earth. (laughs) An asteroid collides with earth. They ended up merging the ideas, which because it's Hollywood allowed them to not give any payment or credit to Arthur C. Clarke. They were able to rip off his design, but change it enough that they didn't have to pay him anything. Of course, we must mention that Deep Impact and Armageddon were released less than two months apart. The reason we mentioned that is because I said it last week. Episode one, we covered Armageddon. Episode 101, Deep Impact. Similar movies, similar plots, released two months apart. Deep Impact beat them as far as timing by being released in May. Yes, it was May. And then Armageddon released July 1st, I believe. So with that said, Jim, let's hear about how well this performed at the box office against its budget, number one's news at time of release. And if you've got it, tell us how it stacked up against Armageddon. From WUAB, Channel 43, where the news comes first. This is the 10 o'clock news. Deep Impact came out on the 8th of May, 1998, to an $80 million budget, and it made $350 million at the box office. Now, Armageddon, the 4th of July movie, the blockbuster it became, to a $140 million budget, so $60 million more, and it made $553 million. Deep Impact had a better opening weekend. Yes. But Armageddon won the longevity battle. In the end, it made... $202 million more. I mean, look at the the cast and everything. Aerosmith. I mean, if Aerosmith was a part of Deep Impact, different story. (laughs) Because I would love to have heard I Don't Want to Miss a Thing while Vanessa Redgrave is talking about saving a table for an arc. Yeah. You know, the National Gallery is saving all of the art and shipping it to the caves. I've given them my beautiful 18th century desk from New England and all the shirt and silver. I really feel like I've protected something. Don't wanna close my eyes. I don't wanna fall asleep. Cause I miss you, babe. And I don't wanna miss a thing. <laughs> Well, we'll get we'll get into Vanessa Redgrave's character, because let me tell you, it's crazy. The one thing that is crazy at one time, Kevin, there was an electronic store called Circuit City, and they released these amazing DVDs. Kevin, your mind is going to get blown. Check out the Circuit City near you today. Starship Troopers. Okay. Pretty good movie. As good as it gets. Helen Hunt, I believe, is in that. And Jean-Claude Van Damme's Maximum Risk with Natasha Henstridge. Whoa. I don't remember that movie at all. I don't think I've ever seen it. What is that? He took a risk that was maximum, (laughs) and the thing on his head grew. Oh, no. Just... (laughs) 
Oh, I can't believe you showed me a picture of the chick who plays Nathalie Emmanuel. Na- yeah, in she's in Fast she's 10. The, uh, the the hacker girl. In, yes, in the last two or three Fast. This will be her third. This will be her third. So I there was the famous video. Not to go on this too long, but there's a famous video of Vin Diesel talking to. Justin Lin. Yeah. And Justin Lin does not look thrilled. And then a couple days later, he exits the movie. He has the big fight. We've talked about it on here. Well, since then, Vin has been kind of posting videos with everyone else. Yeah, Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa is super happy to be there. Who looks like he's now built like Vin Diesel. Yeah. And then, but Nathalie Emanuel, I, I love her. She's great. Her, on, Ramsey. That's yeah, her name in the she's movie. She's great on Game of Thrones. She's good in the Fast movies. Really like, she's very, very attractive. She has a Jean-Claude Van Damme, like not lump cyst, whatever it is on her head. I think that's what Van Damme said. It's not like cancer or anything. It's just like excessive fatty tissue deposit. So they can't remove it? Which I'm like, it's you're not going to leave a scar the I'd way things are a, anymore. No, but I'd rather have a scar than that. Because I can't watch a Van Damme movie without fixating on that. When he had hair, he could cover it with fine. But now it's like I go right to it. It's pretty pronounced. The number one toy at this time, Kevin, which is a toy that is getting one hell of resurgence right now. The Furby. Ooh, Furby, the original Furbies. If you still have them in the box, men on card, they're getting pricey. again. I really like seeing the custom Furby market, which people make. I don't like, think I delved into the custom oh, Furbies. Neat. People take Furbies and create like uh, horror ones or like. Just make like different. They'll add a third eye. Okay. They'll do things like that. Like there are, there's a custom Furby market. I wish I had that kind of skill to pull off something like that. Like I painted that Ricky Steamboat custom LJN. That's probably as good as I'm ever going to get. As good as it gets. <laughs> hey, Circuit City. Thank Kath- you. Kathy Bates tits. What? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't she get nude in that one? I have no idea. I'm pretty sure Kathy Bates is topless in a hot tub and as good as it gets. Wow. We're going to cover that movie next. That's week. why so <laughs> many people rented it from Circuit City. Yeah. Speaking of a show that does not have Kathy Bates topless in it, Seinfeld's finale, the two-part episode, airs on NBC to 76.3 million viewers with commercials priced at $2 million per 30 seconds. Oh my God, Kevin just showed me a picture of the Kathy Bates topless scene. Wowee! She was 54 years old. In 98. And I'm not... Hell, that's awesome that she did that. But how? Why? Why? Who was like... The director is like, Kathy, we need this scene. Hey, well, we talked about it when we covered Fast Times exactly. last, last week, where movies used to have this quota where it was like, gotta have three sets of tits. That was in 82. That was in 82. Not and 98. that was for like teen movies and movies like Porky's. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh man, we got the three tits quota to meet. <laughs> Do you think the director's going up to Jack Nicholson and go, hey, I need a full frontal. I got, I need tits. I need a dick. I and told tits. the studio they're getting three pair of tits. And <laughs> you got you, Kathy Bates. Can we have a Joker ball? something nor will i be able to get out of my mind that a federal judge in sacramento california gives unabomber ted kaczynski not one not two not three but four life sentences plus 30 years after he accepts a plea agreement sparing him from the death penalty at that rate just fucking yeah kill the guy yeah kill him four life sentences plus the 30 how about you blow him up with a nail bomb that's what I agree with. Hey, well, eye for an eye. That's a room and detonate a nail bomb. Why the hell not? Do it like he did all of his other victims. Fuck that guy. Kevin, we remember this in the late 90s also. The Monica Lewinsky scandal. I don't remember. You don't remember? Not at all. I did not. 
have sexual relations with that moment. Listen, Bill got a beach in the office. That's what happened. A he federal also inserted a cigar into her. That threw me off. I totally forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. A federal judge rules that the United States Secret Service agents can be compelled to testify before a grand jury concerning the scandal. So Secret Service, hey, we need some info on you and we're going to impeach President Clinton. Linda Tripp. Everybody. Jim Reno. Oh, God. Will Ferrell. I can't look at Jana Reno and not see Will Ferrell. Yeah. That's the truth. But the one person that never did a fully nude scene, Kurt Loder, what's up? Hi, I'm Kurt Loder with an MTV News Brief. Rapper DMX releases his debut studio album, It's Dark and Hell is Hot, and it debuts at number one. Yeah, good. That album I had to buy two of because I wore out the first copy. Track 9, Damien, was always my favorite joint. Released it, a second album the same year. Which is crazy. Which is insane that, that, that the studio, or whatever they, they're called, would even allow him to do that. Earl Simmons, rest in peace, man. You were f- fucking a giant when it came to my high school life. Into sports, George. Hi. Good evening, everybody. I'm George Michael. Welcome to the Sports Machine. Just one bit of news when it comes to sports this week, Kevin. Real quiet because we just had a Kentucky Derby. Won two out of the three events in the Triple Crown. Now, Kevin, can you name all three events in horse racing that are big? Preakness the Triple Stakes. Crown. That's one. Kentucky Derby. Two. Alabama Diarrhea Festival. <laughs> I yes. What's I'm trying one? to remember what the third one was. I just oh, you're it. asking me because you <laughs> don't know. I totally fucking forgot. The uh, Preakness, the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and Belmont uh, Stakes. Belmont Stakes, that's it. Mmm, Stakes. And Kevin, remember, I think it was two weeks ago, I texted you on the phone. I didn't bring this up on the show. I went to Walmart wearing the Beast yeah. King's Island yes, shirt. I love it. And the cashier, he asked me, he said, hey, man, I don't mean to bother you, but are you that guy? Yeah. Yes. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And he pointed at my shirt and I'm wearing the beast roller coaster shirt from Kings Island. And I'm thinking, this guy thinks about fucking roller coasters. <laughs> he's like, are you that roller coaster? <laughs> and then it dawned on him. He's like, no, you're, you're, you're the beast guy. You're, and I'm thinking LA beast. I look nothing like him. He's like, no, Mr. Beast. I love your YouTube channel. I was like, dude, I, I appreciate it. I'm not Mr. Beast. I don't look anything like Mr. Beast. He's like, I thought I had a YouTube celebrity here at my stand. I'm like, I apologize. The reason I bring that up in May of 98. Mr. Beast was born in Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> well, I, I don't know much of anything about Mr. Beast. Yeah. But I know about his fast food pop-ups. Yeah, he does. Why is that a thing? I have no idea. He'll either do fast food pop-ups or he'll make his own fast what food. What is his YouTube? He'll do like these weird, like back in the day, he would fill up a pool full of these balls. That you add water and they just grow and grow and grow or lock yourself in a room for 24 hours. You win a hundred thousand dollars, stuff like that Weird. stuff. It's crazy. He's this kid inferior. Makes- He's inferior to LABs because LABs is like, I'm going to eat this unlabeled container i found in my garage <laughs> and then he throws and then he throws up i have to go to the hospital have a good day my girlfriend got me a cameo from mr beast where he talked about Not our mr. podcast la beast. la beast where he talked about our podcast for six and a half minutes which is great i gotta put that up on the channel which is amazing good day james la beast here um your new podcast the pool scene podcast i'm figuring that it says kevin and jim uh, and I know Jim is short for James, so I don't know. Hopefully this is your podcast here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Kevin and Jim talk about our favorite movies. We discuss the character, the plot, the logic, and its legacy, which is pretty cool. And you know what? When it comes to the movie Dirty Dancing, I could probably tell you everything you need to know uh, about that as I went and did like filming locations 
uh, not too long ago. The number one movie in America at this time has one of the best sample versions of a song in the world. It's He Got Game starring Denzel Washington. And the song I'm talking about is He Got Game by Public Enemy where they did Buffalo Springfield. Yeah. Which is excellent. And the number one song next to Close. Yeah. So what a my, great my damn wife song. and not not to to blow up her spot here, but classic miss her lyrics. The lyrics are I feel a little poke coming through on you. Yeah. Because the whole song is about having a boner while it's dancing. all it is. My wife always thought it was polka groove. <laughs> feel a little polka groove. I love it. For the longest time, I could never understand what they said at the very beginning of the song. It literally tells you right off the bat. I wonder if she could tell I'm hard right now. I wonder if she could tell if I'm hard right that now. That is one of the craziest that was things on to ever be on the radio. The first, <laughs> before the music even starts. I wonder if she can tell that I'm hard right now. Yeah, which is the best thing you want when you go out on a dance floor. I with hope your... there's a, a missing verse that's like, he ejaculates. There probably is. There, why not? I don't see why not. That's all that was going on in May of 98. All right. I was going to say, let's collide into the plot, but let's just ejaculate into the plot. Yeah, let's do it. Ms. Lerner, Tom Beck. I understand you've come into some information. Ms. Lerner was just expressing her lack of enthusiasm for matters of national security where journalistic competitiveness is at stake. Mr. President, I'm not interested in using Ellie to further my career. What do you know about Ellie? Our movie takes place over two and a half years or so from start to finish. Beginning in May of 1998, while with his girlfriend or at least his crush, Sarah, young teenage astronomer Leo Biederman spots an unidentified object in the sky with his telescope. Not unidentified like a UFO, but unidentified as like a, they think might be a star yeah, or something like that. And there's some logic there because they're like, just tilt it down 10 degrees. It's like, it doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't at all. The one next to it? Uh, Alcor. Good, Biederman. And the one next to that? I don't know. It's McGrath's. I don't think so. Well, you just said you didn't know. Well, it's not McGrath's. It's, it's something else. Look. It's south, about 10 degrees. That's probably a satellite. Let's uh, take another picture. We'll send it to Dr. Wolf. Yes, sir. They send a photo of the object to Dr. Marcus Wolf, who pretty much instantly recognizes it's a comet on a collision course for Earth. It's going to drop kick through Earth's windshield like the other collision course we covered. Dr. Wolf, with his findings, speeds in his car to tell, I'm assuming, the world or his colleagues about the comet, but he collides with a semi, rolls down a hillside, and explodes before he's able to do that. I'm assuming the floppy disk melts. One year later, MSN NBC journalist Jenny Lerner thinks she has a scoop about an affair, a political affair. She questions the Secretary of Treasury, who has just resigned because there's something about Ellie, which she thinks is his mistress. Mistress, yeah. He had a private phone line installed in his office. Nobody else could answer it. 
I picked it up once, said hello, and it's nobody home. It rings, he shuts the door. Why not hang a sign? Do you have a name? <sighs> this is what I get for talking to the press. I'm selling my soul right now. I can feel it. I can feel it. I name a name and get someone into trouble. So you do have a name? Just a first name. Oh my God, I'm going to say it. Ellie. Meanwhile, he's hoarding insurer, and if you're paying attention, like there is a, a pallet of insurer or something right there on it's the dock. It's a shitload. He is hoarding a lot of stuff. And she's talking to him as though, you know, he's having an affair and why he resigned. And he's kind of just like, yeah, I'm going to go inside and lock down. Well, we could talk about your wife or we could just talk about Ellie. We know everything. Nobody knows everything. Well, we know about the secret phone lines and the whispered calls to the president about a secretary of the treasury who's kept his entire department in the dark about what he's really doing about a cover story about his resignation that just fell through i mean sir do you want me to go on and you're just gonna break it well that's what we do for a living well congratulations you now have the biggest story in history after this meeting, she's apprehended by the Secret Service. They actually hit her car. There's like six cars that surround her. The president thinks that she knows more than she does. What do you know about Yali? Yeah. <laughs> Their interaction leads Jenny to breaking out some classic internet to learn about who or what she thought Ellie was. She thought it was a name, but it's actually E-L-E as in Extinction Level Event, not the Busta Rhymes album. <laughs> Two days later, the president announced announces the Wolf Biederman Comet is on track to impact the Earth in one year. The United States and Russia have built the largest shuttle ever in orbit, which is called the Messiah. The Messiah is going to blow the comet to hell with nukes. Of course, why not? That doesn't go as planned, partially because they take too long. One astronaut is lost into space, which he has an Italian last name called Gus Partenza. Partenza, which I think Partenza, like in Italian, means like lost in space. Not really, but it's <laughs> something, something like that. Another astronaut's blinded. The remaining crew detonate the bombs, which split the comet in two, both still headed for Earth. So kind of like Partenza means departure. There you go. Gus departure. Gus departure. Lost in space. It would have been better if he just was. Gus How do you say lost in space in Italian? Because that should have been his. I wonder if Orin is also an Italian name, because let me tell you some of the name choices in this movie. Yeah. The president announces martial law and a lottery for 800,000 people to join a pre-selected 200,000 doctors and scientists in caves or underground shelters yeah. in Missouri. Jenny Lerner is pre-selected. Leo Biederman and his family are pre-selected. His girlfriend and her family are are not selected. So Leo and Sarah do what any 14-year-olds would do in this situation, and they get married. I talked to civil defense. They said if you and I got married, we'd be family, and I could get you in. Well, what about my parents? They're not your family. I don't want to go without my parents. You don't have to. I'm the famous Leo Biederman, and I haven't used my fame for anything but I got them to let your family go too. This still doesn't get Sarah's family in, so she doesn't join Leo. So they're just married 14-year-olds. I guess it doesn't matter. Two comets are about to hit the earth. The last-ditch effort to shoot the comet with missiles 
also fails. Leo leaves the shelter to find Sarah. He reaches her, and after saying goodbye to her family, they take her baby sister to find shelter. Jenny, she gives up her spot on... She has like... She drew straws. Yeah, she's pre-selected going in the helicopter. She's going in the evacuation helicopter. But her friend, who they have some hostility towards each other... Because she got one up on Beth. Yes, so she gives up her spot and because she has a young baby. Jenny then goes to reconnect with her estranged father on the beach. When I was 11, I took $32 from your wallet. When you were a baby, I once dropped you on your head. The Biederman piece of the comet, because so the comet was called the Wolf Biederman Comet. When it breaks in two pieces, how convenient they call one the wolf the and smaller call one. one Biederman. Yeah. So the Biederman piece hits the Atlantic Ocean. The mega tsunami destroys much of the U.S. East Coast. Millions die, including Sarah and her dad, who just stand there on the beach and watch the waves swallow them. Leo, Sarah. I mean, and- Jenny and her dad. Who did I say? I said Sarah and her dad. Sure. <laughs> Jenny and her dad. Uh <laughs> So Leo, Sarah, and Baby survive by standing on top of a tall hill. The crew of the Messiah, still in space, decide to sacrifice themselves, and she even makes a comment like, Look at the bright side. We'll all have high schools named after us. Which was a thing that happened with Challenger. So they decide to sacrifice themselves. They fly inside the larger comet piece. It's been a pleasure serving with you, Commander. To detonate the nukes, they succeed. It blows into a bunch of space dust. The waters from the mega tsunami recede. President Beck speaks in front of the damaged U.S. Capitol, telling the nation to remember those lost as they rebuild the nation. So let's talk about (laughs) characters. Top build, Robert Duvall as Captain Spurgeon Fish Tanner. Unfortunately, no sprinting in this one. He doesn't race. Oh, I wish he... But he is as awkward as Harry Hogg was by far. Harry Hogg. <laughs> Taya Leone. As yeah, not T. Tia. Taya Leone as Jenny Lerner. Not good. Horrific. Not, not good. Elijah Wood as Leo Biederman. There were a lot more scenes of Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski, but test audiences did not care for them. So after the final cut of the movie was made, they went back and took them out. I wonder how much longer it would have added to the movie in runtime because there was enough already. What would have it added? I have no idea. Vanessa Redgrave as Robin Lerner, Maximilian Schell as Jason Lerner, Raya Kishtelt as Chloe Lerner, which is the young stepmother. Who is only two years older than she is. Morgan Freeman as Tom Beck, the president Tom Beck. The studio objected to casting a black president because they said it wasn't realistic. One studio executive talking about having a black president was quoted as saying, we're not making a science fiction movie, which is funny because they kind of literally were making a A science science fiction fiction movie. movie. And 10 years later, we have black president. 11 o'clock on the East Coast and Keith, we can report history. Barack Obama is projected to be the next president of the United States of America. There are a lot of movies, which we'll get to later, where the president is just referred to as the president, the president, no name, not necessary. James Cromwell as Alan Rittenhouse, the secretary of treasury who resigns in light of the wolf Biederman comet threat. And then John Favreau is Dr. Gus lost in space. (laughs) 
Laura Innes as Beth Stanley. Who else do we want to mention? Richard Schiff as Don Biederman. Yeah, West Wing. Lily Sobieski as Sarah Hotchner. Blair Underwood as Mark Simon. Uh, uh, you have Ron Eldard as Oren. Yeah, how could I not mention Mike O'Malley? Yeah! As Leo's history teacher. And I think that's about it. So which actor or actress gives a passable performance? Does any non-lead character still see? Also, Kevin, in Italian, Lost in Space is Personello Spazio. That's Spazio. Tough for last name. Personello Spazio. So my favorite character by far is the awkward one himself, Captain Spurgeon Fish Tanner. You're here because the powers that be think we need a familiar face on this trip. You're here for public relations. I'm here because the powers that be know that I'm the only person on this mission who's ever landed on the moon. And I have 500 landings on aircraft carriers. We've trained on... On, on flights. Right? And this, it's, it's not a video game, son. It really isn't. To me, most of these, like in Days of Thunder and this Bobby Duvall movie that we have covered. It just seems like he doesn't have a script. He's just like, be Bobby Duvall. Be yeah. like that yes. charismatic father figure that can kind of just be there for everybody because he just has this, he'll say a line and be like, got a tough book, huh? <laughs> tough book. You know, he just yeah. does this whole Bobby Duvall repetition thing. Plus, I'll talk about it more later in Logic. I don't know what the fuck happened between him and his two sons, but his him and his two sons just his sons yeah. hate him for some reason. Yeah, everybody comes to say goodbye because they're sacrificing themselves, and yeah, and Houston has made the arrangements to, to save the fucking planet to bring their families, and his kids can't be there. They're working or something. They're on active duty, but you can't. For what are you active for? Yeah, we didn't have. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> We didn't have Zoom yet. I'll say President Morgan Freeman. Uh, Tom Just Back. because he has this... Uh, Gravitas? This matter-of-factness. He doesn't, like, sugarcoat anything. I, I really like his approach to addressing the nation and telling them, which, actually, let's go ahead and just move to best scenes. And I will say, that's that's my first best scene, is just he addresses the nation about the comet and the creation of the largest spacecraft in history being built in orbit. Sometime on August 16th, roughly a year from now, there's a chance that we might have impact. So for the past eight months, the United States and Russia have been building the largest spaceship ever constructed. It's being built in orbit around the Earth, and we call it the Messiah. So other than Jenny Lerner, no one here is hasn't been leaked. They don't know about this comment. Well, they were going to hold, I think he said, for two weeks because of all the money that was allocated for everything was going to be yeah. in the budget and people were going to start asking questions. Yeah, exactly. So they asked Ellie, or I messed Jenny. up her name twice. Called her Sarah, I've called her Ellie. That's how great Taylioni is in this movie. Ellie. Yeah, so I just really like his, his matter-of-factness, the way that he handles it, because if you were an actor and the director said, we want you to deliver a speech to the nation telling them about an extinction level event that may end humanity. That's what's so great. He didn't sugarcoat it. No, he doesn't say like, this is a tough day for Americans. He is like, listen up. There will be no hoarding. There'll be no sudden profiteering. I'm freezing all wages, all prices. What a bottle of water cost you yesterday. It will cost you tomorrow. This is what's going down. You're not going to gouge prices. What a bottle yeah. of water will cost you today will cost you tomorrow. Which is awesome. But even before that, one of my favorite scenes is when Jenny gets the FBI and then she's brought to the White House into the kitchen. If she knows, how long can it be before CNN or The Post breaks the story? 
And this was never going to be a secret as long as you wanted it to be. Give us two days, Mr. Turner. You'll get second row center at the White House press conference. Now, from what I know of your career, that's a promotion. I want exclusivity. Now, listen, young lady. This is a presidential favor. I'm letting you go because I don't want another headache. And I'm trusting you because I know what this can do for your career. It might seem that we have each other over the same barrel, Miss Lerner, but it just seems that way. Which she would have to know she's at the White House, right? Because she just doesn't seem to know that she's at the White House. I think that's the Taylioni effect. But I like the fact that just like I said, they were going to hide it, but she stumbled upon this because it was going to be in the budget. But then she starts dictating terms like, listen, I want an exclusive and he shuts her down. And he even says, now, now, young lady, I'm giving you one hell of a gift right now. And right now you better be kissing my ass or you're not going to get any higher up. And what he did propelled her at her own job, did. which made Beth more resentful towards her. Yeah, because they give her like a premium reserved seat at the speech. She gets an anchor job at she MSNBC. Gets an anchor job, and she's not good at that either. <laughs> yeah, why? It's so it's like a comedy of errors. It's almost like a Coen Brothers movie in a way where it's like the president is talking to her directly as if she has knowledge of this extinction level event. Yeah, but she still thinks it's a woman. She still thinks there's an affair. Yeah, she still thinks because on the way to being hit by the Secret Service, she's saying like. She's having this conversation into her captain's log where she's like, Okay, Secretary of the Treasury Alan Rittenhouse resigns because of a mistress named Ellie. Biggest story in history? What an ego. Now, if it was the president... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, the president has a mistress named Ellie and Rittenhouse pretends that he's having the affair and takes the fall and resigns and the president buys him a yacht? Does the president know about this? Does the president? Yeah, she's like questioning and answering herself. Because he thinks the president was having an affair with this girl named Ellie and in Rittenhouse was taking the fall for yeah, it. Yeah, super weird. So who is who's the lady that tells her about Ellie? Because she's having the smoking lunch with her mom. Yeah. And then she goes and sits with some woman at a fountain and she tells. I want to say is the secretary for the treasury secretary for Rittenhouse. Yeah, I think that's she it gives is. her the she just says, ask him about Ellie. Yeah. And then that's where it why she just like runs wild with this idea of like, what's Ellie? I have. So Leo Biederman, the president thinks he's dead. They name this comment after Dr. Wolf and Leo Biederman. How does the president who not know that this kid is alive or a child. Exactly. So the president just like literally says he's dead and he's not dead. And he does a Q&A at his school. As far as we know, what happened was that Dr. Wolf saw the comet in my photograph. So he shared the discovery with me. And then he was killed in that crash and everything got mixed up in Washington. So the president thought I was dead too. Jazz. How does it feel having your name on it? I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to take something away from Dr. Wolf. Because I'm not. But it's kind of cool. Jason. You know, you're going to have sex a lot more now than anyone else in our class. Really? 
sexual insight, Mr. Thurman. You can sit down now. Famous people always get sex, Mr. Perry. That's the main reason it's good to be famous. And this kid... I got logic issues with this. ...stands up and says that he's going to have a ton of sex now. Yeah. And he goes, I am? Like, which he has a girlfriend, so kind of weird. And she's chuckling and going, yeah! Yeah, he just has a press conference with Mike O'Malley and the high school, and they think he's this hero. The president thinks he's dead. I would have loved if Mike O'Malley looked at Leo and went, do, 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 do you have it? Sex. Mo. So one thing I also love is the astronaut party. A nuclear reactor in space? Yes. Isn't that dangerous? <laughs> no, no, no. This is all Russian design, Russian science. Uh, the same people who designed Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Chernobyl almost worked. <laughs> So what happens after you plant the bomb? Well, we have seven hours. Bombs inside the comet. I'm going to follow these two. I don't trust that combination. After uh, seven hours, the the 14-hour rotational cycle of the comet, right, Spanish? We're going to get married. God knows I want to marry you. But the day I get back, the last thing we do is step inside of the church. I don't do church as well. Because there's only seven hours of darkness, and then the sun starts hitting the surface of the planet, and it causes... These are your orders. Upon first entering Earth's atmosphere, Proceed immediately up the exterior of the mothership. It's gonna when the sun hits the surface, it's gonna be explosive outgassings that are very dangerous. Yes. He's seven. So it looks like they're having this big oh, yeah. backyard party for all the astronauts before they go off to training and eventually lift off into Messiah five months later. So like the Russian guy who's there, the girl's like Chernobyl. And he's like, well, it almost worked. And then Gus Partenza proceeds to tell an eight-year-old kid thermodynamics and rocket propulsion. And the father was like, Gus, he's seven. I love it. And then, like I referenced earlier, the absolute vitriol that Fish's sons have from, they don't say one word. They just be like, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. That's it. You boys were what? Four and six when I went to the moon? Now, you saw me going to space seven times, didn't you? Eh? I came back every time, didn't I? <laughs> Your mother and I used to play a game when she was still alive. Now, the game was, if there was a chance I might not be coming back, she wouldn't say it and I wouldn't say it. Okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's like, yeah. listen, your father, I got logic issues with Fish's career, too. He's been on six shuttle missions yeah. and was the last one to land on the moon. These younger astronauts just think he's on there for a prop, yeah. for publicity. Yep. This guy knows what he's doing. He does, but I mean, I have it as a logic issue later. This dude would not survive a trip to space. No. Because space like makes you shorter. It like deteriorates your bones and muscles. It ages you by years. And it's like they're sending this old man. It's like unless they just knew it was like a suicide. But the thing I don't understand about that, too, and real quickly, he okay, he's been on six shuttle missions. This is a shuttle. It's not even a shuttle. It's an experimental spacecraft. He's landed on the moon, not landed on an asteroid. It's two different things. There's so many like weird timeline things. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, later. we'll get to it. When the first piece of the comet hits and the 1100 mile per hour tidal wave, I have this too. destroys absolutely fucking everything. Awesome. Peter. At yeah. least something happens in this movie yeah. and that's it. 
Yeah, it just it blows everything to shit completely. And I, none of the science of it makes sense. The wave comes from the wrong direction and like all of these other things. Like, how could it recede? <laughs> you know, like once the water's there, they're like, well, it receded. No, no how? It's, how did it's that? It's pretty much going to be there for a long yeah. time. But yeah, it's just the destruction caused by this tidal wave is nuts. It's awesome. It's great CG too for the time. Yeah. So my next one, kind of a sad one. It's where Jenny says goodbye to her father before the wave. Yeah, they stand there. Hits them. Jenny throughout this whole movie has this aggression towards her father because she's marrying a younger woman and her mother just seems to be cast off like he has no relationship yeah. with her anymore. So she feels like an abandoned a kid. That's what she told him. I feel abandoned. Yeah, the one time we meet Jenny's Italian father, it seems. Yeah, stepmother. Yeah, Chloe. They give her earrings. If you pay attention, her ears aren't pierced. You can exchange them if you don't like them. Jenny, I know this is hard. I just want you to be happy. But they give her earrings and she she has just found out about the ELE. Yeah. So she's like in she's a weird headspace. She's in a state of shock. So she's not necessarily giving her stepmom the cold shoulder, but she's like, I just found out that the world could end. And she like chugs a martini. She basically tells her dad he's a piece of shit for marrying Says, this lady. You need to go back to mom. Yeah. Mom's lonely. You need to get together with mom. And it's like, why? She smells like cigarettes. <laughs> But I do appreciate at the end, though, comes full circle. She reconciles with her dad. And then here comes the thousand mile high wave and obliterates him. So I have another one real quick. Once again, it's kind of lighthearted. Fish reading to Orin after he's been yeah, made blind. I really like that. I want to tell you something. You children didn't bring any real books to read. Did you know that? I brought Moby Dick and Huckleberry Finn and Baker and Simon and never read them. Now, I'm afraid to ask you, have you ever read Melville or Twain? Hmm? Hey, I'm a child of the movies, Fish. Okay, I see. So, you got a shitty deal, or you know that. It's such a bonding moment because Orin and Fish buttheads are from two different generations. Like I said, Orin looks at him like a publicity Now, the reason stunt. he was blinded is because, so when they go in the initial Messiah mission to detonate the nukes on the comet, they are working with a, what do they call it, a twilight clock? Yes. Where the sun is going to emerge and like the, it'll go up like 200 degrees per second. Explosive outcast. So they have to finish this mission in time. Sort of like Armageddon. Armageddon. They can't drill fast enough. They can't get through. Shit happens. The sun gets exposed, which causes, you know, astronauts lost in space to go. And then, yeah, this dude, Orin, is, is blinded. Fish being old school, as Orin is sitting there blinded, he said how he sees flashes of lights from time to time. But he's like, have you read any books? I brought Moby Dick and Huckleberry Finn. He's like, you know, I'm from the movies. I was raised with the movies. So in order for Fish to bond with him, he says, you got a raw deal. So they know what needs to be done. And then Fish proceeds to start reading Moby Dick to Orin. And it kind of, he starts chuckling, but then it comforts him. And that's how they bond. Yeah. I, I, I love them. I really like that too. Anyway, let's get started. Moby Dick chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> Call me. <laughs> Several years ago, never mind how long precisely. All right, so I don't think there's a swimming pool in this one. But, a lot of water. But there's a lot of water because uh, the whole East Coast is under it. Oh, 
shit, water! All right, the pool check this week. Morgan Freeman's a kick-ass fictional president. Hell yeah. So we are going to discuss fictional movie presidents. I guess if you want to include someone playing a real president, because that's happened a lot as well, that's fine. But basically, we're just going to tackle movie presidents. Kevin, you want to go first? Sure thing. Number five, I have Billy Bob Thornton as the president, no name, in Love Actually. So they've done this a ton throughout the history of film, the no-name president thing, which we mentioned, just the president. He's a piece of shit. So it comes off as super accurate because... The American president is a piece of shit like 95% of the time. Yeah. Like in my lifetime, the only non-piece of shit president is probably Obama. Yeah. Everybody else, fuck you. Yeah. They're all pieces of shit. So specifically, Billy Bob in Love Actually is a piece of shit because he tries to fuck the prime minister's secretary. Oh. He sexually assaults her in the Oval Office. Jesus Christ. So, yeah. Bad dude. So my number five is a deep cut movie. That little background I paid $37.99 for on DVD. It's an HBO movie called Deterrence starring Kevin Pollack as President Walter Emerson. Kevin Pollack. Kevin Pollack. Now, the background of this movie is... Wait, Ralph? His name's Walter Emerson, well, not I Ralph, like, Waldo. Ralph, Ralph Waldo. Ralph Waldo Emerson? He's no. Walden Pond? The whole movie takes place in a diner, and Walter Emerson was never elected. The president died. So he acceded to the presidency. So he's in the diner with five or six other people, along with like the cooks and the staff and stuff like that. At one point, this kind of has a lot to do with the Gulf War. So it's kind of intertwined with this, where he's the president. Uday is now the leader of Iraq and he starts a war. A lot of people start not liking Walter Emerson because he wasn't appointed. He's like, if they don't stop what they're doing, I'm going to nuke Baghdad. Well, he inevitably nukes Baghdad. People in a diner start getting pissed. At one point, the cook ends up getting shot with a Wait, shotgun. He nukes Baghdad from the diner? He has the football, the nuclear at football. At the diner. At the diner. The whole movie takes place in this diner because they're snowed in. The roads are bad. That's pretty interesting. It's a really cool movie. Not that many people saw it. It's called Deterrence. Never so I'm going to go with it. that. It's really good. My number four, pretty straightforward. Morgan Freeman is Tom Beck in this movie. Uh, again, I love the stern nature, the matter of factness, but I also love that he has tattoos. In one scene, his, seat, his sleeve is rolled up and you can see it's a tatted president. I never noticed that. Morgan Freeman wanted to have an earring and Mimi Letter said no. So I don't know if Morgan Freeman did it on purpose and he rolled his sleeve up tattoos. I never noticed that. So pretty cool because we need a fucking tatted up president. Give I'm him a face tat. So my next one, number four, get off my plane. Yep. President James Marshall, as of course, that is Harrison Ford in Air Force One. Harrison Ford being a kick-ass president, dealing with terrorists on Air Force One, kicks their ass, gets them off the plane. Yeah, badass the world. president. Badass president. And Harrison Ford had an earring. I don't know if he did in that, but. Yeah, why not? Number three, I go off the rails a bit. Terry Crews as President Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho <laughs> in Idiocracy. While he knows nothing, he has so much charisma, which means everything in the Idiocracy universe because they see being smart as a huge like slur. You mean much as it is now in the world? Yes. So he's dumb as a box of rocks, but he's got all the charisma in the world. President Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho. <laughs> 
Great name. Mike Judge. Shout He's, out. Uh, he is replaced in office by not sure. Really? That's because yeah. Joe, when he uh, goes to the future, he they ask him what his name is and he says, not sure. So he's they, president, not sure. He's president, not sure. Oh, Jesus Christ. So my next one is a movie we covered. One of the greatest presidential moments in movie history. I refer to as the speech. You know him. You love him. Bill Pullman as President Thomas Whitmore in Independence Day. Not resurgence. My number one. Phenomenal. That speech, I'm pretty sure excerpts or the the joie de vivre of that speech has actually been used by real life presidents. It's awesome. It's great. It's, it's the speech. So wonderful. My number two, Charlize Theron as President Charlotte Field in Longshot. So technically this is a spoiler because she's Secretary of State throughout the movie, which ends with her being sworn in. But God, if you have not seen Longshot, I've never seen such it. an underrated gem of a movie. So she's a, as you get, she's a politician with a ton of momentum behind her. Every, you know, four years or whatever, we'll see these politicians who yeah. seem to be on fire and are ascending. So she's the secretary of state. She has all the momentum behind her to, uh, to run, not to give too many spoilers, but basically to, to uh, become president. She sees a journalist that she grew up with. It's Seth Rogen. And they're kind of having like a secret affair. It's like a romantic comedy, but it's, I cannot recommend this movie enough. You said long shot. I'm like the Lance Bass movie. Yes. It's the Lance Bass movie. Uh, no, it's uh, such a great movie. I would say it came out in 2019. Maybe, you know, didn't pick up steam with uh, the pandemic, hitting pandemic happening after and stuff. But man, I would, I would recommend that. My number two is another great movie. Kevin, Klein as two different presidents known as Bill Mitchell in the movie Dave. And not Billy Mitchell. Not Billy Mitchell. Fuck that guy. The great thing about this movie is Kevin Klein plays a prick president who is Bill Mitchell. Guy ends up having an affair as a stroke. Kevin Klein also plays a guy called Dave Kovic, mm-hmm. who is a finds jobs for people. He people love Dave he, in a small town. There is a striking resemblance and he does this whole spiel where he acts like the president. He has his cadence, everything, his mannerisms. After the president has a stroke and it's kept under wraps, they track down Dave and they basically put him in the place of the president. He becomes the president of the United States. But they notice he's different because he starts being more sympathetic, more charismatic. And in the end, the actual president dies. Dave goes back to his real life, but Dave starts a career in politics. Great movie. Yeah. Feel good movie. It's great. Go ahead and give us your number one because I had Bill Pullman from Independence Day. So yeah, not Independence Day resurgence where he plays a nutter. No, different president. Yeah. So my number one is President Andrew Shepard played by Michael Douglas in The American President, which led to inspiring the West Wing. Yeah which is an Aaron Sorkin movie. He took a lot of stuff from this movie, a lot of characters in this movie, and he cast them in the West Wing. The great thing about Andrew Shepard as a fictional president, he's a bachelor president. And his yeah. wife died. And that is the overarching thing throughout this whole movie is he starts dating. And people think it's, it's immoral. He's bringing sex into the White House. And he, once again, has a speech to the country. He says, who I date is my business. It's none of your business. It won't interfere with my job. See, I, I think that's part of the reason why a long shot works because at the time she is secretary 
secretary of state. Yeah. And they're showing how like she uses like a liaison in order to arrange dates in, in secrecy and in quiet because any like, I mean, we see it now with like Twitter and stuff, any high ranking politician, their dating life is so scrutinized. So it's like impossible for them to actually go on dates. You can't, can't even have, can't it. have a, a politician on Tinder. Yeah. You know, it's just, it doesn't work like that. So that's what it's a very fascinating storyline. A bachelor president getting fucked. <laughs> All right. Honorable mentions. Jamie Foxx is James Sawyer. White House down. Yeah. Which is weird. Not the weirdest uh, president. I have Morgan Freeman in Olympus has fallen. London has fallen. And Angel has fallen yeah. as the president. But in the first one, the I don't first think he's one, the president. He was secret. No, vice president. Then he becomes acting president and becomes president. Alan Trumbull. Yeah. I think the weirdest person to ever play president. Charlie Sheen as president. Rathcock in Machete Kills. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Jack Nicholson as James Dale in Mars Attacks. Leslie Nielsen as Baxter Harris in Scary Movie 3 and 4. Never seen those movies. Really? I saw like the first one. I hated it. Yeah. It's... Like Scream hated it. You're crazy. Any other honorable mentions? Real quickly, Bruce Greenwood as he played JFK in 13 Days with Kevin Costner, which is great. And I would kick myself in the ass if I didn't mention, and I know it's TV, Martin Sheen as President Josiah Jed Bartlett in The West Wing. See, Charlie Sheen could play president, so I guess dad could. That's right. All right. Well, let's get back in the water. Everybody! The waters receded. All right. Critical question real quick. Best movie president name. I have two. I have in the 1964 movie, The Best Man, the president's name is Art Hockstader, which is so crazy for because like, you know, usually movies go with like the president Grant, President Williams. I also have because it's like a tongue in cheek and type of thing and not real serious is Peter Sellers as Merkin Muffley. I was just going to say, yeah, you got me beat on that one. Like I said, they usually air like safe. They just don't do anything like real weird because President John Madison. It's always a a former president. It's always just like a simple Americana type name. Yeah. It's never like President Banshee Wolverine. Yeah. So. All right. Well, you think about that. If you want to bring it up later, you do that. But before we move on to logic, I want to do some rapid fire Armageddon versus deep impact face off. Better space crew, the crew of the Messiah or our crew in Armageddon? The Messiah crew was a lot less. Armageddon had two shuttles. I'm going to have to go with, I'm going with the Messiah. You're crazy. I'm going with the Messiah. Armageddon, we had Bear. We had Rockhound, Bruce Willis with AJ. We have Colonel Willie Sharp. They're just much more character. I got Fish. I got Andy, I got Orn, I got the Russian guy, I got the guy from LA Law. Right. We're good. Better mission planning, Armageddon or Deep by, Impact? By far, it's Deep Impact. They planned for two years. Armageddon was 18 days. Yeah. I will say in Armageddon, I do like how they, I don't want to say explore the science because that's a wrong term, but they at least explain what they're doing. Like in Deep Impact, they don't tell us any of like what the plan is. Yeah, the minutia. They just is like, well, they're going to nuke the thing. And then we like, see them drilling and it fails but they don't explain like in armageddon we get the the montage of nasa training the underwater modules they explain how they're going to drill down which they could have shown 
granted in deep impact because they had a whole year yeah they literally had two weeks yeah in deep impact we get nothing they just he tells us about the about the messiah and then we just see the messiah and they're just they the movies chose different paths deep Uh, impact needs to be a three-hour movie almost maybe better love story Oh God. AJ and Harry's daughter or Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski. It's AJ. I mean, come on. I cannot stand Elijah Wood and Lily Sobieski in this. They're awful. Better cast. Oh, it's Armageddon. Yeah. It's Armageddon. Better special effects. Ooh. Now that's see, this one may not count because Deep Impact doesn't have that much action. Doesn't. You know, you, so you're kind of going to have to go with Armageddon. Deep by Impact default. almost has just the end. Armageddon, damn near the whole thing takes place in space on the asteroid. It's true. So not, not a lot of special effects. Better movie. As a rounded plot, it's Armageddon, just because the actors are a hell of a lot better than... Not saying that some of the actors in Deep Impact are if, bad. If Tay Leone was replaced. Tay Leone and Vanessa Redgrave both are... Vanessa Redgrave had a storied career. Yeah. I'm not kicking it by any which way shape or form but tay leone i think they should have went with sandra bullock i think it would have been awesome as sandra bullock and vanessa redgrave here's a deep shot should be replaced by holland taylor now once i show you her picture you might remember who holland h-o-l-l-a-n-d don't be cat taylor is remember that woman she's been in quite a bit i could see her being tay leone's mother yeah i yeah tay leone is kind of so bad that at times it takes you out of it. She's emotionless. Yeah. Like, there, show me some fucking emotion. You got an asteroid coming. To, you're going to die. And is she, I mean. The Messiah has safely lifted off the comet, but sadly, Gus Partenza has been lost. Gus Partenza, a native of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and graduate of Carnegie Mellon University, joined the NASA space program shortly after completing his medical training at Duke University. Dr. Partenza was selected specifically for this mission, not only for his medical expertise, but also for his dedication to the advancement of space technology. The most emotion we got is when she was holding her dad before the wave hitch and she goes, Daddy, that's it. I would say Armageddon has a more digestible balance of drama versus action. Deep Impact is too much drama, not enough action. Yeah, yeah. Armageddon also disguises the drama with comedy, which I understand Deep Impact's not really supposed to be a comedy. Yeah. But Armageddon's not a comedy either, but they do work in some comedic elements. And just like watchability, I don't want to watch Deep Impact all the time. But Armageddon is like, I'll watch it on TV. Like, it's funny. I like it. And Deep Impact is is more, they're not apples to apples movies. No, they're, they're not. both movies about an asteroid, a crew going up to divert an asteroid from hitting Earth. But Armageddon is like a fun popcorn movie and deep impact is almost like a presidential drama where where the plot happens to involve an asteroid now i will say i think even you would have to agree if we're going to do compare and contrast the one big thing for me is when it comes to plan of action deep impact had a way better plan of action than armageddon armageddon was we're going to go land on it if shit happens it happens if not we're fucked it's zero barrier or bust 
Deep Impact. They built the Arc Caves. They had two years supply of resources and the questionable National Lottery. So at least they had some sort of plan of action. See, but I, it's so weird because they don't explain. So Dr. Wolf dies in a car accident. The evidence he had of the comet blew up with him. Perhaps. So maybe. Or it flew out the window. So then we don't see who the next person to find. Because how do they know Dr. Wolf found the comet? Did he email it to somebody? Remember, he kept trying to call an email. He couldn't get a hold of anybody. Okay. So they give him the credit, but ultimately it probably would have relied on another scientist to verify spotting the comet. So they might have lost some time. Yeah. Because this is a year later when we get the announcement and stuff. It's a year after they actually spotted the thing. And again, maybe it's logic, but a year is enough time to build this enormous. Yeah, more than know, enough time. Thing in, in orbit. Armageddon also has uh, Aerosmith. Exactly. What does Deep Impact have? A very uh, cheerful, upbeat score, <laughs> which I'll get to here in a second. But first, somebody I do not want in space. Don't send him to space. David McCall. Hey, you want me to go to space? I'll go fuck up that comment. Hey, comment, what's up? It all could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. Yeah, so there is this, like, we see cities being burned. We see people charging $500,000 for backhoe rental. Yeah. And all while we're seeing this stuff on the news, there's like a really upbeat, like, kind of, like, cheerful sort of score. You think it would be, or should have been, a hell of a lot darker than what it was. Yeah, it should have been. It's almost the, the score itself gave away the ending. I have a ton of logic here, Kevin. I, I don't have a ton, but I have, I have definitely a uh, chunk. Okay, so here we go. My first one, you had two years to prepare and you build just one art cave for only one million people. When the president said it was in the budget, how much money was allocated for the projects? Why not have sole focus on this ELE? I'm sure you could have allocated more resources for more caves. Yeah, why not? Why hide everything? Why not just tell the people sooner? And I think he does say there's a reason why he didn't announce it sooner. I would assume it would have caught, you know, mass hysteria. Nobody's going to be worried about the uh, budget when... You know, the one thing that I question, and I'm not a geologist, so I could probably I am wrong. But when the president announces in that press conference that the soft limestone rock of Missouri, when I hear soft limestone, I'm thinking that is not going to save no. me. <laughs> soft limestone. I, they, and we don't see this network of, of underground of immense or, caves. Or tunnels. But why just in Missouri? You can't Pacific Northwest or something? Come well, on. The other thing about that, too, is so a million people who get to go, 200,000 doctors, scientists, etc., that have already been selected. How would they keep it secret? Like, they're building this area. Nobody noticed. I have that, too. And also, once they do announce it, what would stop? I know that they say there's like a there's a ban, there's a curfew, nobody's to be on the roads. Bullshit. But what would stop literally everyone else from going to the caves, bombarding the caves, and trying to get in. And here's the thing. The society in which we live, we sure as hell know if this was going to be a real thing, you know that would happen by far. Yes, everyone would go there. And then we'd get to see, would the military shoot them? Yeah. Would the military take action against people who are just trying to save themselves? But as long as that cheery score is in the background, Kevin, we're all good. When the president is addressing the nation about the comet, we've talked about this a couple times, he's potentially talking about the end of the world. And this is the first time that the nation's hearing about it. Yes. They're learning real time on this news broadcast that he's talking about the end of the world. Yet a bunch of Leo Biederman's neighbors go visit him during the broadcast. 
They thought they were, he was dead. This seems insane that they would not finish watching the broadcast. They'd rather go. Wait, Leo's dead? To Leo's house and find out if he's dead. The president's talking about the end of the world. Also, 1998, not pre-internet, but pre-civilized it's early, internet. Yeah, it's early so, internet. So, okay, whenever the president speaks, they interrupt... National television. They interrupt national television, network television. On In this, would they not interrupt cable television as well? Because you would want everyone to see You this. would think so, yes. But then what did the president have to tell the networks, or what did the, the White House team have to tell the networks in order to convince them to turn off MTV and turn on the president. And that's the thing that kind of blows my mind. And I think it would hold true. If there is a special show on TV that a network knows it's going to get like a 30 share or 40 share and the white house press office goes, president's coming on at nine o'clock. We need the time. I guarantee you that even if they told the network, Hey, there's a comet that's coming. The network would be like, well, we can't interrupt sweeps. Yeah. Right. You know what happened? And speaking of what the president announces, this national lottery, I take a lot of issue with this national lottery it's because crazy. the big thing says, if you're over 50, you're dead. So parents are dead. Yeah. Grandparents are dead. So it just seems like, well, oh, oh, hum. What's the cutoff? I'm 49. But when the comet hits, I'm going to be 50. Yeah. They don't, really, they don't really, they don't clarify. And then this will be forging birth certificates. Exactly. And this all goes into Jenny's mom does not. She weirdly takes this news as she even says, I have to say it's liberating knowing that I'm not going to be called. I don't think I've ever been happier. I've even stopped smoking. Why? You're going to die anyways. Yeah, smoke more. Smoke, smoke them all, honey. Break Take those a- heaters out. Get yourself some fucking darts. <laughs> Get some darts. Go crazy. Her mom is weird is an understatement. (laughs) Very strange character. We meet her for what, because honestly, she doesn't really need to be in the movie. Not at all. She's unnecessary. The only character traits that she has is that she loves smoking and she's lonely. She ends up committing suicide before the comet hits, which, but she does it before she sees if the missile strike, which we didn't discuss the missile strike. So if the Messiah failed, their next plan of action was when the comet got close enough, they're just going to blast the shit out of it with every Nuke available it. missiles that they had. But she fucking ODs on whatever pills, we pills assume. before she even finds out. See, I hate how they film this because Jenny gets a call to go down the corner. And the next scene we see is her picking up her mom's jewelry at a corner and her just walking out. That's it. Yeah. I'm like, they couldn't have filmed this a lot better and have more context behind it. That whole. You had no idea that she was going to commit suicide. The whole angle with her mom and her dad. None of it's necessary. Not at all. None of it's necessary. Not. I mean, everything about Jenny's story kind of fails because, you know, it's just not necessary. No. The damage from the Biederman comet is actually understated in the movie, which is weird because normally in a movie they want to overstate everything. You'd think. It's a mile and a half wide. It wouldn't have just been a big tidal wave. It would have been, it would have entirely leveled the Eastern United States. The fireball from the comet getting that close would have ignited the entire Eastern United States, almost the whole U.S. It would have flash boiled seawater on impact. The tsunami would have washed over the smoldering ruins and then the resulting smoke from the water going over the fire would have caused smoke and dust that resulted in global winter that would have lasted for at least a few years. The impact 
impact blast alone, the seismic shock would have killed a minimum of a billion people. Let's put this into perspective. So compare and contrast Armageddon. They said that the asteroid Armageddon was as big as Texas. This one, before it got split into two pieces, was seven miles wide. To put this into perspective, the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs, because the one woman that works at MSNBC inquired about it, was six miles wide. So even with a, a mile and a half asteroid in Biederman, you're exactly right. It would have decimated things a lot more than what they showed in the film. And why they didn't do it, I have no idea. Yeah. Either just make it smaller. You'd, like a smaller yeah. piece broke off or make the result bigger. I don't know. So my next one, what I don't get is the press conference at the school where Leo declares that I'm alive. He's even on the cover of like Newsweek says I'm alive. Yeah. Why in God's name would Leo have a press conference in front of all the students and basically the press just sitting sporadically? Logically, it would be him, his probably parents, and then just the press. There should be no kids in there. No. No, why it's like a high school assembly. And why are kids allowed to ask questions at a nationally televised news conference? I don't know. The sex question, for God's sake. It's very strange. Uh, I don't know if it's an actual inconsistency. But don't the warheads seem tiny? Seem very tiny. They seem very little. They something like they that. Be a lot bigger. They must have had some sweet technology that was developed in that year because they've got little tiny warheads. We know that there's cooperation with the Russian space program. And the president mentions Europe and Africa, but we see everything from strictly an American point of view. We have no idea what happened in other parts of the world. Again, same with Armageddon. The hope of humanity relies on one mission. Wouldn't each capable nation send their own mission? Fuck. The fate of the planet is on the line. Send 56 missions. Exactly. Send every available nuke on planet Earth. Send every shuttle available on planet Earth. Send fucking everyone. This is what I don't get. So they constructed one shuttle. Yes. Allocate every fuck resource you got. It's insane. Like this movie is just, I want an armada. It's yes. It's so uniquely American in that we forget about everyone else, else in the world. I get it that like Ethiopia probably doesn't have yeah. a space program that can get to this thing, but like China, you know, there's other civilized nations, France, there's other nations that can get up there. And it's like, Nope, it's on America. There's one shuttle. If it fails, we're all fucked. Send everything. Exactly. And my last point goes to that shuttle. People would also know about the Messiah being built in space. There's fucking telescopes. You'd think you'd see some activity or some mention yeah. would slip. Because you know somebody's going to get their palm greased and be like, hey, so the Russians and we are building this shuttle in space. I mean, look at Armageddon. No. They had two experimental yeah. shuttles. I mean, come on. Look at contact. They were building a second machine the whole time. H.R. Haddon. President Beck says at the end that the wave reached the Tennessee and Ohio valleys. But Leo and Sarah survived by getting to the top of a hill near Virginia Beach. Nope. But here's the thing. Technically, they shouldn't even be in Virginia Beach. They should be in Missouri because that's the only side of the arc. Yeah. So if you're saying her house is somewhere on the East Coast, he took a bike from the Ark to her house. He wasn't already all the way at the Ark, though. Yeah. So would, but it's in Missouri. That's but, what I don't get. But they were picking him up in Virginia to drive him to Missouri. Ah, oh, so fucking. And weird. then he gets off the bus and drives his bike back to find an empty house, and then a key that he has to play like a saw game. 
because he has to break all of the jars. Yeah, with nuts and to bolts. To find the key in the nuts and bolts to unlock the dirt bike so that he can then luckily locate Sarah and her family yeah. on the congested freeway. Yeah. I have, there are potentially two weeks left for life on earth. And yet Jenny is able to find a taxi driver working on duty for fares. <laughs> I <laughs> still taking cab fares. Two weeks left on earth. He's got yeah. a real tough boss. I would say so. He's no Beldar Conehead when he's a taxi driver. Saving money because he's got a baby on the way. What's the legacy of this movie? Until Twilight in 2008, it held the record for biggest opening weekend by a female directed film. You got any other legacy for this movie? They didn't come out with any games or figures. Deep Impact's kind of a weird one because like Armageddon still is on TV all the time and yeah. stuff. And Deep Impact is not. No. Deep Impact is kind of like erased into the annals of time. It doesn't get talked about a lot. It doesn't get like remembered a lot. It's not on TV. I had to borrow the DVD from you, but to find <laughs> out it's actually on HBO, HBO Max. Max. So anybody wants to watch along after you listen, HBO Max. We will say though, it's billed at two hours and a minute. It flies by. Yeah, it does. It seems like an hour, 35, it, 40 minute movie. There's a couple minutes if you haven't seen it that are a little painful because it's like a uh, movie starts, you have this you see the thing you've got jenny talking to the president and then the next like i feel like half hour of the movie is just like people sitting around watching their tv screens imagine if you cut out all of the jenny mother father mess yeah you're literally good at an hour for yeah and then leo's family watching the press conferences on tv so weird yeah so i mean that's that's probably the legacy so stick around for some plugs when WMMS said the time has come for the buzzard to be grounded, the people spoke out. The response was overwhelming, and the people are getting what they want. The buzzard is not leaving. You told us you care about the buzzard, so listen for world-class rock from the rock and roll capital of the world. We'll work hard to give you a radio station Cleveland can be proud of again. The Buzzard 100.7 WMMS. Pool seniors, thank you once again for checking out the podcast this week. And don't forget, if you guys missed an episode, check us out. Apple, Spotify, Podbean, and other podcast listening sites. And while you're there, like, comment, subscribe, rate, and follow. Hey, you leave us a five-star review on Apple, we choose it. You win a prize. It's just that easy. Also, check us out on Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, at Pool Scene Podcast. Also, TikTok. Yo, we're trendy, at Pool Scene Pod 1. And once again, guys, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And now, back to Kevin. Final lap, guy. Yeah! The final lap! Final app, this episode 101. Yes. On our journey to the next 100. We hope you've watched uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Surprise! Listened <laughs> to the episode that now we've said it for the first time. Yeah. Because uh, we thought we'd keep it a surprise by making you click play in order yeah. to find out what it was. Something different. A very, very minimal ad thing I did for that. So I'd be so, like it. Jim, what do you got going on? So let's announce that the iPod is done. It came out this week that Apple's done with making iPods now. We're over with it. I think that's okay. I think we're fine with it, but su fine. surprisingly enough, where I work, people still buy them. Not many, but every now and then somebody will order one. I'm like, so why? We, one of my friends still hang out with them for a long time. 
Dude, very rich. Had a very rich family. He's well off. Never had an iPhone. He always had like a shitty phone, but he'd always carry an iPod with him so that people thought he had an iPhone. So weird. And uh, yeah, we used to give him a lot of shit for it. But yeah, I mean, the iPod's essentially obsolete because you've got your iPhone, your iPhone or any phone or any, you know. I do remember when the iPod or it was like the third generation iPod. I remember going to Kaufman's, calling around and finding out because it was the first one where it had just the the wheel with no ridges, the tactile yeah. re- wheel. Calling Kaufman's, we have two. You got to get here now. We're gonna hold them. Holland asked the Kaufman's to go buy which, an iPod. Which uh, iPods did you have? I had a white 30 gigabyte, and I had a black. I think I had a black either 16 or 30 gigabyte. IPod. I had a Seafoam Green Nano. Nice. It was later. It was later on, so that it was like I had a silver iPod Classic. It was yeah. Dead. So like the Nano that I had was just like the size of like a 50 cent piece. Yeah. And it literally did everything and held everything that the original ones did with like a fraction of the weight. Yeah. And I remember you could download videos on it. I put the entire first season of Drive with Nathan Fillion on my iPod. Wow. <laughs> I was a big Nathan Fillion fan. Uh, yeah. So crazy. I mean, it's crazy now how with technology, how fast we move. Big time. Because I mean, it used to be like it was, I mean, they're still making DVDs. Blu-rays have been out for how long? And they're still, still standards. making DVDs. And it's like video game systems. They still, we were just talking about this. They still continue to make games for the previous consoles before the next ones, yeah. you know, after the next ones are out and stuff. But now it's like the technology seems to like go by in a blink of an eye because like our phones are seriously crazy. Like don't smoke weed and think about everything your phone can do. Think about what we hold in our hands is so much more than what took the astronauts to the moon. Yeah. We, Think about I can that. do everything on my phone. It is mind blowing. Pornhub. Yeah. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. You can order Domino's pizza. Yeah. Speaking of Domino's, I got the new Domino's pizza stranger things box in the studio there's a cross promotion with the upcoming season two-parter of stranger things everybody's 30 years old now yeah and they just had gaten manazaro on jimmy kimmel and he warned people he's like from scene to scene some of us look like we age because this filmed over a process of three years Crazy. because of the pandemic everything shut down so when they started filming season four most of them were still you know didn't have there's facial like hair entertainment and- tonight or whatever it was like exclusive photo of will and hallway and he looks older than i do it looks frightening it's like real weird because so, season one he's like a child he's like they're, a tw- they're all 11 and 12 years old i mean that's that's what happens when you cast people at those ages and i think what you need to do though is end the show after this wait five to ten years and then do something again when they're fully grown adults do something different i, I can see that that'd be kind of I mean, cool I hope, I mean, it looks like, what's the name? Wolf. Wolf. Oh, Finn yeah. Hard. Finn yeah. Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard. Yeah. It looks like he's going to have a little bit of a career. Millie Bobby Brown's having a bit of a career. I don't know about the rest of them. I don't I mean, know either. We'll see. Hopefully they all have go on to have careers. Yeah. Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter. Is that who that is? Yes. Yeah. And Joe Keery. So I, I hope they all go on to have careers, but. I love the show. Yeah. But it just, things like this. I mean, people get typecast and they never break out of it. So. So let's hope they do. Yeah. But yeah, the Domino's pizza box is real sweet. The only thing I wish is that they would bring back old Domino's pizza because I have nostalgia for that old cardboard pizza. You can taste the quality from Domino's pizza. So avoid the noise. Domino's pizza delivers. Call now. It was the 
epitome of shit pizza. The bottom of the pizza was like legitimately cardboard. That's it all it was. It was like this weird texture. If you went to like Giant Eagle and got like a mega frozen pizza, that's what it, it was. It was great, but it was, I loved it. I had some weird, I used to play in this soccer tournament every year in Wadsworth and there was a Domino's pizza there and you ever go to like a place and it's like, you know that there's bad McDonald's and good McDonald's. Yo, big time. And there's McDonald's that you can go to that you can always count on. You kind of have one here in Hubbard. It's great. The Hubbard McDonald's never lets me down because their Same. food is way better. The McDonald's near my house, worst McDonald's on earth. It's pretty dismal. Best McDonald's I've ever been to was near the Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport, Rhode Island, which is a very affluent, rich thing. They had, so if you go to a McDonald's here and you ask for an extra sauce packet, they act like you've got to show them like ID, proof of address, yeah. two bills. It's like going to the DMV. The one in Newport had pumps. You could just get as much of the sauce as you wanted. Oh, shit. They had pumps of every sauce the food was like from angels it was like everything was like perfectly crisp and grilled it's just so Domino's in wadsworth was like that it was like you'd play in your soccer tournament before you hit the road back home you'd stop at that Domino's. you get pizza and their Domino's was so much better than ours so it became like for however many years i played in that tournament it was always something to look forward to mcdonald's capitalize on nostalgia start building mcdonald's classics again come don't, on don't put the tumors back in the nuggets no no do it please come on give, <laughs> give me, me the classic too. nuggets i want the nuggets with the hard black things yeah come on damn it you'd have to peel them all apart to be able to eat them it's a deep impact to chew into <laughs> there you go all right well next week i'm gonna go out on a limb and i'm gonna say uh, it's gonna be an episode that's gonna fly right into our top five top ten episodes ever Kick the tires and light I, the fires. I could record it right now. I could too. I don't have to have notes. I need nothing. I don't have to watch it. So good. I could record that episode right now. I am excited for this one. It's We've waited a, a long time. A part one of two. Yes. I hope you feel the need to listen. Until then, Silencia! We watched as the bombs shattered the second comet into a million pieces of ice and rock that burned harmlessly in our atmosphere and lit up the sky for an hour. Still, we were left with the devastation of the first. The waters reached as far inland as the Ohio and Tennessee valleys. It washed away farms and towns, forests and skyscrapers. But the water receded. The wave hit Europe and Africa too. Millions were lost. Countless more left homeless. But the waters receded. Cities fall, but they are rebuilt. And heroes die, but they are remembered. We honor them with every brick we lay, with every field we sow, with every child we comfort, and then teach to rejoice in what we have been re-given. Our planet. Our home. So now, let us begin.